part three section fourteen of swan's way by marcel proust translated by c k scott moncrief eighteen eighty nine to nineteen thirty this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine part three swan in love section fourteen he left the post office and went home but he had kept the last letter in his pocket he lighted a candle and held up close to its flame the envelope which he had not dared to open at first he could distinguish nothing but the envelope was thin and by pressing it down on to the stiff card which it enclosed he was able through the transparent paper to read the concluding words they were a coldly formal signature if instead of its being himself who was looking at a letter addressed to forcheville it had been forcheville who had read a letter addressed to swan he might have found words in it of another a far more tender kind he took a firm hold of the card which was sliding to and fro the envelope being too large for it and then by moving it with his finger and thumb brought one line after another beneath the part of the envelope where the paper was not doubled through which alone it was possible to read in spite of all these manoeuvres he could not make it out clearly not that it mattered for he had seen enough to assure himself that the letter was about some trifling incident of no importance and had nothing at all to do with love it was something to do with odette's uncle swann had read quite plainly at the beginning of the line i was right but did not understand what odette had been right in doing until suddenly a word which he had not been able at first to decipher came to light and made the whole sentence intelligible i was right to open the door it was my uncle to open the door then forcheville had been there when swann rang the bell and she had sent him away hence the sound that swann had heard after that he read the whole letter at the end she apologized for having treated forcheville with so little ceremony and reminded him that he had left his cigarette case at her house precisely what she had written to swann after one of his first visits but to swann she had added why did you not forget your heart also i should never have let you have that back to forcheville nothing of that sort no allusion that could suggest any intrigue between them and really he was obliged to admit that in all this business forcheville had been worse treated than himself since odette was writing to him to make him believe that her visitor had been an uncle from which it followed that he swann was the man to whom she attached importance and for whose sake she had sent the other away and yet if there had been nothing between odette and forcheville why not have opened the door at once why have said i was right to open the door it was my uncle right if she was doing nothing wrong at that moment how could forcheville possibly have accounted for her not opening the door for a time swann stood still there heartbroken bewildered and yet happy gazing at this envelope which odette had handed to him without a scruple so absolute was her trust in his honour through its transparent window there had been disclosed to him with the secret history of an incident which he had despaired of ever being able to learn a fragment of the life of odette seen as through a narrow luminous incision cut into its surface without her knowledge then his jealousy rejoiced at the discovery as though that jealousy had had an independent existence fiercely egotistical gluttonous of everything that would feed its vitality even at the expense of swann himself now it had food in store and swann could begin to grow uneasy afresh every evening over the visits that odette had received about five o'clock 
and could seek to discover where forcheville had been at that hour for swann's affection for odette still preserved the form which had been imposed on it from the beginning by his ignorance of the occupations in which she passed her days as well as by the mental lethargy which prevented him from supplementing that ignorance by imagination he was not jealous at first of the whole of odette's life but of those moments only in which an incident which he had perhaps misinterpreted had led him to suppose that odette might have played him false his jealousy like an octopus which throws out a first then a second and finally a third tentacle fastened itself irremovably first to that moment five o'clock in the afternoon then to another then to another again but swann was incapable of inventing his sufferings they were only the memory the perpetuation of a suffering that had come to him from without from without however everything brought him fresh suffering he decided to separate odette from forcheville by taking her away for a few days to the south but he imagined that she was coveted by every male person in the hotel and that she coveted them in return and so he who in old days when he travelled used always to seek out new people in crowded places might now be seen fleeing savagely from human society as if it had cruelly injured him and how could he not have turned misanthrope when in every man he saw a potential lover for odette thus his jealousy did even more than the happy passionate desire which he had originally felt for odette had done to alter swann's character completely changing in the eyes of the world even the outward signs by which that character had been intelligible a month after the evening on which he had intercepted and read odette's letter to forcheville swann went to a dinner which the verderons were giving in the bois as the party was breaking up he noticed a series of whispered discussions between madame verderon and several of her guests and thought that he heard the pianist being reminded to come next day to a party at chateau now he swann had not been invited to any party the verderons had spoken only in whispers and in vague terms but the painter perhaps without thinking shouted out there must be no lights of any sort and he must play the moonlight sonata in the dark for us to see by madame verderon seeing that swann was within earshot assumed that expression in which the twofold desire to make the speaker be quiet and to preserve oneself an appearance of guilelessness in the eyes of the listener is neutralized in an intense vacuity in which the unflinching signs of intelligent complicity are overlaid by the smiles of innocence an expression invariably adopted by any one who has noticed a blunder the enormity of which is thereby at once revealed if not to those who have made it at any rate to him in whose hearing it ought not to have been made odette seemed suddenly to be in despair as though she had decided not to struggle any longer against the crushing difficulties of life and swann was anxiously counting the minutes that still separated him from the point at which after leaving the restaurant while he drove her home he would be able to ask for an explanation to make her promise either that she would not go to chateau next day or that she would procure an invitation for him also and to lull to rest in her arms the anguish that still tormented him at last the carriages were ordered madame verderon said to swann good-bye then we shall see you soon i hope trying by the friendliness of her manner and the constraint of her smile to prevent him from noticing that she was not saying as she would always have until then to-morrow then at chateau and at my house the day after monsieur and madame verderon made forcheville get into their carriage swann's was drawn up behind it 
and he waited for theirs to start before helping odette into his own odette will take you said madame verdurin we've kept a little corner specially for you beside monsieur de faucheville yes madame verdurin said odette meekly what i thought i was to take you home cried swann flinging discretion to the winds for the carriage door hung open time was precious and he could not in his present state go home without her but madame verdurin has asked me that's all right you can quite well go home alone we've left you like this dozens of times said madame verdurin but i had something important to tell madame de crecy very well you can write it to her instead good-bye said odette holding out her hand he tried hard to smile but could only succeed in looking utterly dejected what do you think of the airs that swann is pleased to put on with us madame verdurin asked her husband when they had reached home i was afraid he was going to eat me simply because we offered to take odette back it really is too bad that sort of thing why doesn't he say straight out that we keep a disorderly house i can't conceive how odette can stand such manners he positively seems to be saying all the time you belong to me i shall tell odette exactly what i think about it all and i hope she will have the sense to understand me a moment later she added inarticulate with rage no but don't you see the filthy creature using unconsciously and perhaps in satisfaction of the same obscure need to justify herself like Françoise at combray when the chicken refused to die the very words which the last convulsions of an inoffensive animal in its death agony wring from the peasant who is engaged in taking its life and when madame verdurin's carriage had moved on and swann's took its place his coachman catching sight of his face asked whether he was unwell or had heard bad news swann sent him away he preferred to walk and it was on foot through the bois that he came home he talked to himself aloud and in the same slightly affected tone which he had been used to adopt when describing the charms of the little nucleus and extolling the magnanimity of the verdurins but just as the conversation the smiles the kisses of odette became as odious to him as he had once found them charming if they were diverted to others than himself so the verdurins drawing-room which not an hour before had still seemed to him amusing inspired with a genuine feeling for art and even with a sort of moral aristocracy now that it was another than himself whom odette was going to meet there to love there without restraint laid bare to him all its absurdities its stupidity its shame he drew a fanciful picture at which he shuddered in disgust of the party next evening at chateau imagine going to chateau of all places like a lot of drapers after closing time upon my word these people are sublime in their smugness they can't really exist they must all have come out of one of labiche's plays the cotards would be there possibly brichot could anything be more grotesque than the lives of these little creatures hanging on to one another like that they'd imagine they were utterly lost upon my soul they would if they didn't all meet again to-morrow at chateau alas there would be the painter there also the painter who enjoyed matchmaking who would invite forcheville to come with odette to his studio he could see odette in a dress far too smart for the country for she is so vulgar in that way and poor little thing she is such a fool he could hear the jokes that madame verdurin would make after dinner jokes which whoever the bore might be at whom they were aimed had always amused him because he could watch odette laughing at them laughing with him her laughter almost a part of his now he felt that it was possibly at him that they would make odette laugh what a fetid form of humour he exclaimed 
twisting his mouth into an expression of disgust so violent that he could feel the muscles of his throat stiffen against his collar how in god's name can a creature made in his image find anything to laugh at in these nauseating witticisms the least sensitive nose must be driven away in horror from such stale exhalations it is really impossible to believe that any human being is incapable of understanding that in allowing herself merely to smile at the expense of a fellow-creature who has loyally held out his hand to her she is casting herself into a mire from which it will be impossible with the best will in the world ever to rescue her i dwell so many miles above the puddles in which these filthy little vermin sprawl and crawl and bawl their cheap obscenities that i cannot possibly be spattered by the witticisms of a verdurin he cried tossing up his head and arrogantly straightening his body god knows that i have honestly attempted to pull odette out of that sewer and to teach her to breathe a nobler and a purer air but human patience has its limits and mine is at an end he concluded as though this sacred mission to tear odette away from an atmosphere of sarcasms dated from longer than a few minutes ago as though he had not undertaken it only since it had occurred to him that those sarcasms might perchance be directed at himself and might have the effect of detaching odette from him he could see the pianist sitting down to play the moonlight sonata and the grimaces of madame verdurin in terrified anticipation of the wrecking of her nerves by beethoven's music idiot liar he shouted and a creature like that imagines that she's fond of art she would say to odette after deftly insinuating a few words of praise for forcheville as she had so often done for himself you can make room for monsieur de forcheville there can't you odette in the dark codfish pander pander was the name he applied also to the music which would invite them to sit in silence to dream together to gaze in each other's eyes to feel for each other's hands he felt that there was much to be said after all for a sternly censorious attitude towards the arts such as plato adopted and bossuet and the old school of education in france in a word the life which they led at the verdurins which he had so often described as genuine seemed to him now the worst possible form of life and their little nucleus the most degraded class of society it really is he repeated beneath the lowest rung of the social ladder the nethermost circle of dante beyond a doubt the august words of the florentine refer to the verdurins when one comes to think of it surely people in society and though one may find fault with them now and then still after all they are a very different matter from that gang of blackmailers show a profound sagacity in refusing to know them or even to dirty the tips of their fingers with them what a sound intuition there is in that noli me tangere motto of the faubourg st germain he had long since emerged from the paths and avenues of the bois he had almost reached his own house and still for he had not yet thrown off the intoxication of grief or his whim of insincerity but was ever more and more exhilarated by the false intonation the artificial sonority of his own voice he continued to perorate aloud in the silence of the night people in society have their failings as no one knows better than i but after all they are people to whom some things at least are impossible so and so a fashionable woman whom he had known was far from being perfect but after all one did find in her a fundamental delicacy a loyalty in her conduct which made her whatever happened incapable of a felony 
which fixes a vast gulf between her and an old hag like verderon verderon what a name oh there's something complete about them something almost fine in their trueness to type they're the most perfect specimens of their disgusting class thank god it was high time that i stopped condescending to promiscuous intercourse with such infamy such dung but just as the virtues which he had still attributed an hour or so earlier to the verderons would not have sufficed even although the verderons had actually possessed them if they had not also favoured and protected his love to excite swan to that state of intoxication in which he waxed tender over their magnanimity an intoxication which even when disseminated through the medium of other persons could have come to him from odette alone so the immorality had it really existed which he now found in the verderons would have been powerless if they had not invited odette with forcheville and without him to unstop the vials of his wrath and to make him scarify their infamy doubtless swan's voice showed a finer perspicacity than his own when it refused to utter those words full of disgust at the verderons in their circle and of joy at his having shaken himself free of it save in an artificial and rhetorical tone and as though his words had been chosen rather to appease his anger than to express his thoughts the latter in fact while he abandoned himself to invective were probably though he did not know it occupied with a wholly different matter for once he had reached his house no sooner had he closed the front door behind him than he suddenly struck his forehead and making a servant open the door again dashed out into the street shouting in a voice which this time was quite natural i believe i have found a way of getting invited to the dinner at chateau to-morrow but it must have been a bad way for m swann was not invited dr cotard who having been summoned to attend a serious case in the country had not seen the verderons for some days and had been prevented from appearing at chateau said on the evening after this dinner as he sat down to table at their house why aren't we going to see m swann this evening he is quite what you might call a personal friend i sincerely trust that we shan't cried madame verderon heaven preserve us from him he's too deadly for words a stupid ill-bred boor on hearing these words cotard exhibited an intense astonishment blended with entire submission as though in the face of a scientific truth which contradicted everything that he had previously believed but was supported by an irresistible weight of evidence with timorous emotion he bowed his head over his plate and merely replied oh 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 traversing in an orderly retirement of his forces into the depth of his being along a descending scale the whole compass of his voice after which there was no more talk of swann at the verderon End of part three, section fourteen. Recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.